0: To another episode of the Who Dat Jedi Podcast, Quarantine Edition, coming to you from all points in New Orleans. Um, we got uh, Uptown covered. We've got Metairie covered, and we've got uh, Gentilly covered. So, I mean, Fredo, do you ever tell anybody that you're actually from Metairie, or do you just uh, when you do you just tell people New Orleans?
1: I mean, it depends. If you're from here, you can tell people that because it means a lot. There's a lot of uh, value in telling people which part of town you grew up with because that'll connect them as to who you might know, what school you may have gone to school in, you know, friends you might be sharing. It's interesting. You'll you know if you know where somebody's from in the city, you can start saying, "Oh, you might know so and so," and boom, it kicks starts right. the whole conversation. I just, I, I just I like it.
0: I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I just liked it because my sister, when she lived here, she lived in Metairie, and she'd, you know, we'd be at like family events. i like, "Where are you living, Wendy?" And she's like, "I'm in Metairie." Where? Oh, New Orleans. New Orleans. <laughs> oh, no, no. See, that's
1: the problem. <laughs> the moment you leave the greater New Orleans area, it just becomes New Orleans to anybody who's not from here. So it doesn't matter. It's it's like if you live in Venice, or if you live on Huntington Beach, or if you live uh, in El Segundo, well, But you know, if you're, in, you just tell people you're from LA or you don't you know, you might not differentiate between which borough you might be on unless it's something like Brooklyn if you're from New York. Just tell people from New York because most outsiders are not gonna know the difference.
0: By the way, I think we should get a Patreon going so we can fund a trip to LA for to go to the scum and villainy cantina. <laughs> uh, but I got uh, it.
1: I got free airline miles. We can make the
0: trip. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll wait for this whole virus thing to go away. Um, so, how's everybody doing? Everybody staying healthy? Doing well? Staying sane?
2: Yeah, we're doing okay. You know, I wanted to say something about that though, like the whole "nolier than thou" thing. Like people use that against people. It was like if somebody's like from, like especially if they're from across the lake. Hey, and I lived on the, end- the I
0: lived on the West Bank for you know four years, so I. I yeah. Every time we saw Mandy, it was, you know, cut hell for being, you know, on the West. Coast, right. So.
2: Yeah. You know, but it's like, and I get it. If you're here, if you're here in the community, it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to tell someone which part of the community you, you live in or you're from. But yeah, if you're like a, halfway across the country, yeah, I'm from New Orleans. It's easier.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Nobody yep, yep, does. yeah. Uh Things been okay. I mean, uh, nothing major. Uh, soccer's back for me, so that was nice. Um, oh, did, you go, did you go to the pub for that? Uh, no, 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 I didn't go. I, I heard that it had, they had a good crowd, and uh, Sean, the owner of Finn McCool's, has been trying to keep it on the straight and narrow, minding all the rules that the state and the city have for phase two reopening. So there's some people who do know, some of my fellow support and guys and gals who went there yesterday, but I was like, nope, I'm working, so I'll may I may try to go over the weekend, maybe not. Uh, I'm kind of still kind of leery because you got to sit with a mask, and I don't know about you, but I, I'm not slipping a beer, in, you know, through the mask. No, you. So
0: you'd have to wear you'd have to wear a mask it, that whole time because when we went to because um, we went to uh, the Cary Irish Pub this weekend, and of course there was I mean, it's the Carry. It's a great pub. There's never a gazillion people in there. There was so we were able to sit far away from everybody. And you just had to have a mask on when you went up to the bar to order. And then you could take the mask off. So I mean
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, if, you're,
0: if you're leaving your mask on then taking it off to take a drink, then putting it back on, then taking it off to take a drink, then putting it back, that's defeating the purpose of the mask.
1: Mm-hmm. So No, and I think they wanted to have a way to kind of show that they're doing the right thing and um Oh sure. But uh, oh, no, but like for example, like you don't get up to go to the bar, the bartenders will come around. Nobody can be standing at the bar. Everybody's going to be sitting at a table. There's only so many seats. So there's still going to be some rules and regulations that not not quite give you the feel of being back there. So you want to support, but at the same time, you're also like, but I'm not getting the same kind of warm and fuzzies I used to get.
0: So you guys know the Cary Irish pub?
1: Yes. Yeah. All right. So
0: that has the, I'm going to say it had the best graffiti. Ever, they painted the men's room So
1: uh, like, uh,
0: like the Yoda Limerick and the uh, Argument about the um, <laughs> There's an Argument about somebody misspelled a word And then somebody corrected them It was the best graffiti, yeah they painted over All of it uh, but I, have, I have been told though that the women's room Was not painted um, My source tells me and the moose Is still on the ceiling there So Apparently in that bathroom, in the women's room, somebody like graffitied a moose portrait on the ceiling.
1: By the way, if you want me to, I still got a picture saved of the limerick, which goes roses <laughs> are red, Yoda is green, you need two hands for my lightsaber, if you know what I mean. My
0: so there you go. So it's, so, you, you, you've got it
2: for, for
1: posterity, right. all right. Yeah. <laughs> Posteriority, yes. So
0: Dave, did the bouncy house get up?
2: Yeah, yeah, we uh we had our bounce house uh little get together. Um had a couple of people over and tried to socially distance as best we could, but all these kids were just crawling all over each other in a bounce house. Um but we did have like a like a um disinfecting station set up outside the bounce house with wipes and uh um you know, antibacterial stuff and so it was a success. The uh, the youngest was happy, um, and then the the two oldest and her we had it for like three days, um, so that that's just kind of like how they're doing it right now because they 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 can only rent them out like once a week because they got to disinfect it afterwards and clean it off and make sure that it's safe for the next group of people to use. Um, so they they're not in any rush to pick it up. So we had it for like <laughs> three days. So our kids were just out in the backyard. We're like. They're like, "I'm bored. Go to the backyard. Jump on the bounce house." <laughs> so, did
0: Lucy? Did Lucy go on the bouncy house?
2: No, 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 no. <laughs> She's got claws of death. She would have. would've, oh, she would've Punctured that sucker. I
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> would have been funny though to see a German Shepherd bouncing Boom. around in the bounce house. Yeah. So. The other, Boom.
2: the other, the other COVID story that I have. Um, I was walking by a restaurant last night, I think we were just out on a walk and there was um, somebody from the kitchen staff was taking a smoke break. Still had his, still had his mask on was, was, was smoking through the mask. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Hey, see everything nowadays.
0: Yeah. we like I said, we uh, went to, uh, you know, a place or two this weekend you know then washed our hands you know ferociously when we got home and everything but you know places we go or tend to be pretty um you know pretty empty anyway i I don't know what that says about us but we don't go to very busy places um but i did you know as we went to port orleans for lunch on monday because it was our anniversary and they actually have a tablet set up to take your temperature so i mean they're going that far um So, yeah. Hey, I guess people are. This is not why you joined this podcast to listen to New Orleans COVID stories. So, uh, (laughs) but uh, yeah, maybe we'll just dive right into the Star Wars stuff. Um, uh, But those of you who are uh, are have listened before, and and if you're new listeners, um, uh, we won't say who, but we are very excited um, that we're lining up um, a very special guest for not one, but two future episodes. Um, And uh, I don't know how much, if we want to say anything at all, um, but just, just.
2: I'll (laughs) even say this. We're lining up a couple of guests. Um, So we're going to continue to keep doing that. We're going to continue to keep trying to bring interesting people on. Um, And so anybody who listens, um, if you know of someone, even if it's you, (laughs) <laughs> if you want to you want to chat star wars with a couple of people um a couple of people then uh, feel free to let us know about it. Yeah. But uh yeah, so should be some fun guests in the in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, so that should be fun. Um so all right, well let's dive into our normal trivia. like uh, we don't have our trivia guest
2: Dave no, no, that that I think that whole idea has kind of been shelled for the moment. I'll let right, you Right, know. because I
0: was I was actually uh, um, coming up with uh, I, I was either like, do I pull a real BS question, like what was the alternate name of the third officer on the, or you know, do I come up with you know um, you know something easy? So I actually came up with something easy, but now I'll throw that away. Uh-huh. So, well,
2: keep, yeah, keep it in mind I'll, I'll revisit this next week
0: alright so for, oh, it's, it's trivia time folks as always we dig into the box of Trivial Pursuit DVD Star Wars Saga Edition um, uh, yeah we'll have to maybe get the DVD out sometime and see what that's all about but anyway uh, Fredo we'll start with you um, what aliens earn Han Solo's faint praise Short help is better than no help at all.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, I can only think of one species that Han Solo would have praised as, you know, given their stature, and uh, that would be the Ewoks.
0: That was the Ewoks. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, yes, yes.
1: I don't think he was complimenting the Ognoths from Empire.
0: By the way, do you, uh, um, Okay, so first of all, um in this uh let me ask you since you just mentioned Ugnots, in the uh, certain point of view the empire strikes back thing we mm-hmm. talked about last week and we'll talk about it a little bit more tonight um do you think that Quill from the Mandalorian Nick Nolte if his character will be in a story in this book
1: maybe
2: I don't know that I'd say no, I, he's, I don't know. They were so animalistic in Empire Strikes Back. They were so different from Quill. And so I think they're going to want to keep him kind of distanced from that, from that bunch if they can. That's my prediction.
0: I I think it would be, uh, it would be smart marketing to, to put that, to put something in there. Maybe as even just like a, it's a, it's not his story, but he's part of the story, Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so we shall find out. All right. Um, and by the way, do you all see the picture of uh, Warwick Davis um, wearing the, like, skeleton of the Ewok mask before all the fur <laughs> gets put on it? It looked like Ewok's eye w- eyes wide shut or something like that. It was kind of mm-hmm. crazy. All right. So, all right, Dave, how many seats occupy the Falcon's cockpit? Oh, wow. Well,
2: um I've been in a version of the Falcon that has six seats. Um, but I'm trying to think if you ever see six people in the movie version. And I don't think that you ever do, but that doesn't mean they're not there. I go with six.
0: It is four.
2: Ah. Four
1: feet.
0: Yeah, that was a little Galaxy's Edge uh, curveball thrown in there. So. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: because yeah, I'm trying to remember because I've seen more than four people in the cockpit, but they're usually standing behind the second row of seats. Right. Yeah.
0: Like, All right. So I just, I just, I have to read this question for myself because I just read it going, man, I don't want to answer that question, but now I'm stuck because that would be cheating. What trade federation vehicle carries and deploys a cohort of 112 battle droids? So it's the big, it's the big brown thing that you know they all come out and, you know, on a big like conveyor type thing. And I, I'm guessing here, I think mean, it's like the MTE or something like that. Um, oh, I'm close. It's the multi troop transport, MTT, MTT so. Anyway, which,
1: yeah. Which, if, if I'm honest, I mean, I'm trying. I was just trying to think about it. I could not name. I mean, naturally, I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, you you have uh, such iconic designs for so many classic and original trilogy sh- ships and transports. And you know, even though we may not know the names, there's a look that's unique to the ships of the prequel trilogy. I don't remember too many sequel trilogy ships. that I called. Like, ah that's new and different and unique
0: you know what also bugged me about the sequel trilogy were the guns the weapons Mm -hmm. they they looked like straight off the toy aisle i don't know i don't know why it just started from the force awakens with the rifle that poe had bothered me the gun that han gave uh ray bothered me um the gun that finn takes from the millennium falcon or the han gives him from the millennium falcon that bothered me too it's like all of them they just didn't I don't know, and I think it's because, you know, and if you we're going to talk about Disney Gallery here in a little bit, but you know, um, they they realized, you know, in the Mandalorian, it's like the things that made the weapons look great was that they're based on actual things, you know. Sure. It's like um, they just went and bought surplus and then put some Greeblies on it, and you know, and it's like there's your weapon. And I think they tried to go too Star Trek ish in the sequel trilogy. I don't know. Isn't it weird what I complain about. Um,
2: well, I'll give you credit on that complaint. I, you know, look, some of those guns look janky to me too. Um, and uh, you know, they weren't very original with the vehicles. Um, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot to complain about there if you want to. Now,
0: now I will say this, you know, the people who complained about how in the force awakens, it's like, it's the same old tie fighter, you know, it's just got a paint job, you know, it's a little bit, it's like, Look at a Mustang in, you know, from a certain year and then go 10 years later and you can re- you can still tell it's a Mustang. It hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot. And I don't know why it's like they expect the um, or they or Darth Vader's helmet from episode three to episode four. They said it changed too much. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, do you think he's gonna have the same smelly helmet for 18 years? But, but no, the ship's going from from six to uh, seven. The people complaining about that that bothered me. It's like, you know, because we just see cars that, like I said, they they're just they change so slowly. So, I think the
2: plotting of what where we ended up in in episode nine makes it make more sense to me anyway. It was like the the rem- these are remnant actual remnants of the empire. Um and it was weird to see stormtroopers in 7 when you're like, well, wait a minute, these aren't this isn't the empire, right? This is the First Order. What what is the difference? And they didn't get they didn't explain any of that. Um but then eventually in episode nine, it, it kind of with all the emperor stuff and the, you know, the hidden fleet and you understand he's, you know, manipulating things from afar. It, it begins to make more sense that these elements would be left over and, and being used the way that they are. Mm-hmm.
0: So here, here's a uh, trivia question to everybody. Cause it's just caught my eye. How many kilometers in diameter was the first death star? 120. 1200 or 12,000? Kilometers diameter.
1: 12,000?
0: Dave, 120, 1200, 12,000?
2: I'll say 1200 instead.
0: It was 120, 120 miles in kilometers, kilometers in diameter.
2: Hmm. Wow, tiny.
1: Yeah, cause I guess because it's a, it looks like a small moon.
0: So, anyway. Uh, by the way, uh, episode, uh, I, I see all these, these rumors, going, fan theories and stuff like that. People saying that, um, you know, so Palpatine, you know, created Snoke. And they're saying that he created Snoke out of Mace Windu. Thoughts.
1: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah. general thought?
0: That's... That's a, uh, I think that's somebody from Reddit, but, uh, yeah, they're saying that, uh, um, he, he, uh, made Snoke from Mace Windu.
2: Okay. Have fun with your theory, I guess. So yeah.
1: <laughs> go yeah, wild. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to say, so in other words, according to his theory, or his hypothesis that we're using the scientific term, right. Um, uh, Palpatine went into the depths of Coruscant, found the remains of uh, Jedi Master Mace Windu, kept some cells of it alive, and then after everything happened in Episode 6, past 30-plus years of it, no, 20-plus years of its death, then he used it to create an amalgamation of himself and some other, and, and Mace Windu to... Form Snoke. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As they said, good luck with
0: that. So, no, I just, I yeah, I read part of it and then I was like, all right, I'm putting this away. Okay. Uh, so, I'm glad I don't go on Reddit because I, <laughs> I think I, think I would just get mad half the time. So, All right. Well, thanks for playing trivia with us. That's always a fun way to get the get the brains, uh, moving here. Um, so tonight we're going to dive into news here in a little bit, but we're also going to talk about, uh, kind of the episodes of latest episodes, maybe all of, you know, what we haven't talked about the Disney gallery show this last one about the music, um, was really kind of interesting because, uh, especially to me because I have my bachelor's uh, degree in, in music. So, um, it was it was just intriguing to watch um then we're also going to talk about the uh the jedi temple challenge the youtube kids show um which is uh, spoiler alert it's surprisingly fun to watch it's nice easy watching after work you know um but uh and it's everything that we talked about you know we thought it would be <laughs> but uh um we'll talk about that a little bit and uh, uh also, And so we got some other things thrown in, in the mix as well. But let's uh, toss it over to Fredo for some news. What's going on this week in Star Wars land?
1: Okay, so look, do we want to start with the big, big news since, you know, that's well, primarily what everybody has heard by now?
0: Are well, we going to say no now? Everybody's like...
1: <laughs> you know, got to start with the big news now. Okay, the, the big news is... It's going to go
0: downhill from here, folks. All right, <laughs> there we go.
1: Basically, basically. No, the the long and short of it is, if you didn't know by now, uh, Star Wars Celebration at Anaheim has can- officially canceled. I believe it came down sometime around the you know, about a week or so ago that they officially uh, made it. I think just earlier this week. Just earlier, okay, earlier this week. week. Yeah, they made the announcement simply stating, "Look, uh, given the dynamics of the world as it is during the pandemic, given the fact that we're seeing case numbers rise up again." The idea of hosting several thousand people, tens of thousands of people in a convention center in Southern California, you know, in close proximity to one another, does not prove to be the wisest or smartest idea. So not only cancel, but cancel to return in 2022.
0: Yeah, it's uh not not it's it's gonna be uh skipping. Uh, two years, so which makes me wonder: Are they are they wondering about? Uh, are they worried about? So why are they waiting until twenty twenty two? Is it like let's have, let's have let's schedule it for twenty twenty one? You know, but uh, maybe we should wait till twenty twenty two because we're going to be releasing. You know, something's going to be coming to a TV or a theater near you or something. Maybe they decided it would be more of a because because this celebration was going to be kind of a you know. Kind of a yawn, I want to say yawner, but it, you know, an anticlimactic. How about that? Because most celebrations, it's like on the you know, on the threshold of a new movie coming out. Um, and so.
1: remind me remember if I'm wrong, Aaron, but wasn't it that you didn't I mean we're accustomed to yearly conventions and stuff? Celebration didn't start off like that, did it? It was like it started off in what 99, 98, else. so you the first year. <laughs>
0: The, I have the I have the program for the for the first two sitting right over here, um, but the first one was right before um, episode one came out, so it was uh, May first and second of nineteen ninety nine. the right. official program. Um, but um, I was in Denver, and the second one. Um, was right before was in Indianapolis, and it was right before episode two came out. So I'm going to knock things over if I try to take that out of the case. So, um, but no, it it hasn't been. And, and so then I those are the only, I went to those two, and then I didn't go until Chicago. Uh, and I don't I I don't know when it got into an every year deal. I right, guess I know, I think celebration three was in Indianapolis as well. I suppose we could Google all this and figure mm-hmm. out when out all these are. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it, I think it started to become kind of, a now it's become a yearly thing and now star Wars fans are, you know, expecting it to be, you know, to be there. Um, I think, I think if you're going to have it every year, you need to stop calling it celebration. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, Um, because it's yeah so i I think it's better when it's surrounding something big that's happening in star wars um
2: so so it was 15 16 and 17. um and then they skipped a year and then 19. um prior to that um it was about on average about every two to three years i'd say
0: so you know, I this uh, it's and it, I having gone to many conventions, not Star Wars conventions, but I mean, when I was a teacher, going to technology conventions and stuff like that and presenting at these conventions, um, there I mean, there is no way to socially distance at any of those things. So it's like you know, and and every time that you go, you come home and you have somebody's cold. So it's like you know. If, have a convention, you're gonna have tons of people get sick. That's just I mean I think just, people
2: call it convention crud.
0: Yeah, con crud. Yeah. Um I mean I remember at Chicago I was um had hand sanitizer and everything. I was like I'm not gonna get sick. I'm not gonna sick get sick and then it's like on the last day I got sick. So um but uh no I you know celebrations it was was fun. Um the first one was totally different than any other ones it was just really um like almost felt like somebody put it together in their backyard type of a deal i mean there's just like a couple tents you know and that was it and now they're getting huge convention centers um and people uh, like well in celebration 2 Rick McCown was having he had this presentation and they had multiple showings of it so it's like um But now it's like if you want the episode nine panel, for example, um, or let's let's say episode eight, because episode you know this last one they did something different. But if you wanted the episode eight panel, you had to like sleep overnight, you know, for your line into the you know to get into get a spot in the room. And I'm like, I was I'm not. There's very little in this world that I am going to camp out overnight on a concrete floor amongst a bunch of strangers really i don't i can't even think of anything that i would do that for um, so um, Partic-
1: yeah, particularly now when everything's connected uh online you know you can watch that same presentation that the people in the room uh, see, see on youtube
0: see but like i said and you know that at celebration 2 like i said my brother and i went and we saw the rick mccallum thing because but we didn't see the first showing. So, you know, we heard the we heard the rumors that, oh, you're going to see Yoda fight. You know, they showed a little clip of Yoda with his lightsaber. You know, it was still cool to see. But, you know, people complain about they, do, they don't want that at conventions. Now I've heard some of them say because they want to be they want to feel special. They want to feel like I was there when they showed this, not I was at the third showing when they showed this. And my point of view at, you know, 47 years old is like, I don't care if I go to the fifth showing, you know, as long as I can see it, that's fine by me. You know, I, I, like I said, so, but anyway, so Chicago, they did a a lot of things different where you actually had, they had a lottery system to get into, to either get in the room where the, the, the deal was or in the overflow room where they had the, the live stream going um and so some people are complaining about that because you know they didn't get it they didn't get the one they wanted stuff like i don't know um so i don't know where i'm going with this but except for the fact that i can understand why they it also so it they don't want to get anybody sick but i think it also gives them some time to work out the kinks on how to make sure people can see what they want to see
1: And when you consider from the standpoint that we do not know the state of the world 12 months from now, I mean, there's rumors of a potential vaccine that might be available end of the year, maybe start of 2021. So which would be incredibly great news. Uh, Stuff like that doesn't just happen overnight. But the impact economically that the pandemic has had, the impact on travel, the impact on everybody's way of life, the idea of trying to host such a major event a year from now, you know, when stuff might still be kind of limited or whatever, might be proved too difficult. I'm hoping that what they're thinking is we move into 2022. By then there is a vaccine. By then we're back to sort of the pre-pandemic levels of travel, of uh, disposable income, of people being willing to fork thousands of dollars to come out to Anaheim to come and be a part of this.
0: So you know what What I find really interesting is, um, so again, Celebration started in Denver. Mm-hmm. Then it moved to Indianapolis for Celebration 2 and Celebration 3. And I don't know if it bounced around anywhere else, but then it mm-hmm. started kind of bouncing between Anaheim and Orlando, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, I'm going to get into what what people consider "quote unquote" tradition because when it went to Chicago, I was like, "Awesome, it's going to Chicago!" Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's easy, you know, trip for me to get to Chicago. And um, and, and actually, and the only thing I was really it's like Chicago in April. Maybe it should be like Chicago in July, and you'll be in better shape. But because um, it did snow one day. But anyway. Otherwise, it's like cool Chicago. I like going to Chicago. Let's go. Let's go to celebration there um, but people were complaining because Celebrations always in Anaheim or Orlando <laughs> And it's similar to now people saying you know that the solo movie should have been released in At Christmas because that's when Star Wars movies are released And it's like no Sonny hold the phone Star Wars was always released around Memorial Day weekend, which is when Solo was released. So if that's following more tradition than the last three movies of every. Otherwise, every other Star Wars movie has been in May. So it's like, so shut up! <laughs> it just it, it drives me crazy what people uh, you know consider tradition. So
1: well, and if we're talking, I mean, if we're going to fight for places to return to, don't get me wrong. I've been to. Many conferences in both Orlando and Anaheim. Anaheim, you know, know, can be have wonderful weather. You can be it's great. Disneyland is down the street. Orlando, same idea. Disney World is down the street. At the same time, though, if you give me a chance to go to either of those or Chicago or either of those in New York or either of those in New Orleans, you know, go go see someplace new. I will take someplace new. Yeah. And, you know, so, but
0: getting back to my experience, you know, I can really only talk about, you know, the most recent one in Chicago, it was, well, well, I guess I will talk about, you know, uh, Celebration 2 was when they had the 501st doing quote unquote security. You know, they were the door security and, you know, just kind of crowd control. And that's when I first learned about, you know, where I could get Stormtrooper armor. And so I came home, I'm I'm never good at saving money. It was like anytime I, like I give music lessons and kids would pay me. I'm very hand to mouth. It's like, you know, they'd pay me and I'd go, you know, that money would be gone. Anyway, so I put all my money away to go to Celebration 2 and I came home and I, my wife and I were walking the dogs and I said, you know, I was really impressed that I actually saved money. I think I'm going to save my money and get Stormtrooper armor. And she said, Well, it's your money. And then she quickly went, but you could do it. And I was like, Nope, too late. Too late. <laughs> um, but so that was kind of cool. And it was really cool because my brother and I, my brother met me in Indianapolis for that one. So, you know, the guy who took me to my first one in Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, in a library. Um, so then Chicago rolls around and um and it was cool. I mean, yeah, I got to I, I got into um the room for the Phantom Menace panel. Um, I got in the overflow one for the Mandalorian um, episode nine one. I had to watch from the show floor, um, the the exhibit hall, um, which actually kind of ended up being a lot cooler because you're standing there with a bunch of people watching the trailer and you know um, and everybody's reaction It was just fun. It was fun, um, but you know got, the exhibit hall is like. Shoulder to shoulder um, and I've, I Learned the lesson that if you see something it's like I want to buy that, but I think I'll get it later yeah. Don't do that because you won't find your way back to the place. You don't know where it is um, But I mean there's fan groups all over I saw you know friends from Nebraska that I was in the 501st with um, And otherwise, it's just like any convention you're walking all around and if you see people you talk to them otherwise, you're just kind of pick sessions, things that you want to go to. Um, so I think next time it would be, it'd be kind of fun to go with a group of friends, you know, rather than just kind of by myself. Cause I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, I was just kind of the loner walking around. Um, but, uh, well, I it, was, it was fun. Uh, but the problem is, is that you might not get into those big panels that you want to get into. And if there's a panel you're willing to stand in line for because that's the other thing as you know I sat in a line for like two hours to you know, for the rebels panel I think man which is cool but still sitting in line for two hours and you think is there something else I could have done you know so I don't know, I don't know if that's kinda of my ramblings on on celebration um, it's uh it's way cool to you know I got to meet Steve Sansweet you know who's uh the star Wars collector, you know, emeritus. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, uh, also, the, I don't know if you remember the, uh, you have seen the show toy hunter.
1: I think so. Uh, I remember
0: like his guy, his first name is Jordan. Um, I, got, I, I met him Got my picture taken with him. Uh, another YouTube channel blind wave. I met all those guys on the showroom floor. So, so people are very very cool. I mean, there's a bunch of Star Wars fans. So people are really really cool. Um, and uh, I was going to say,
2: like, it sounds a little bit to me like Galaxy's Edge, um, in that, yeah, you have the bit, the major attractions that you're like, should I sit here and wait for two hours to do this thing, and then you have all the little moments that just sort of spontaneously happen around you right place right time if you're in the right place you're going to see you know some kind of dual breakout um you know people in, in incredible costumes having a moment you know a hilarious joke that that you would kind of have to be there to understand you know, those kinds of sort of little magical moments, I would I, think. I have to say
0: my, the highlight, first of all, the cosplaying is always awesome. It's always spot on. Um, but the, the, my favorite moment was every every night at the end of this, you know, take the bus back up Michigan Avenue to my hotel. And here are all these people just wanting to go home from work. And all these nerds just pile onto a bus. You know, carrying lightsabers and dressed as stormtroopers, and just watching all the native Chicago people just kind of looking like, "What the heck is this?" Now, if it was <laughs> if it was New Orleans, it would be a totally different reaction, you know, because we. But the Chicago people are just like going, "You saw them just kind of go." Ugh. <laughs> and then, so that was always fun. Uh, that was the
2: highlight. Yeah, when got on the bus, so. <laughs>
1: Worlds collide worlds collide <laughs> uh,
2: you know a lot of people are going to miss it this year but i just I, i'll just echo what you guys have said it it just sounds like the smartest thing to do and um to your point aaron you know they don't have a big budget movie hitting the theaters this year um they're not going to have that for a couple of years so they can really kind of afford to Push this off a couple of years if they if they want to, and it sounds like they're doing that. It's the more conservative approach, but it might it might well be warranted.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I mean, look, right now we're all counting on a movie coming out in Christmas 2022 that hopefully will still happen. We don't again. All of this is up in the air. We're going to get into news regarding the obi One series, and now that's in production. Uh, but that idea of you know traveling around the globe to find uh Skelly Michael or filming in Norway, yeah, you know, that's not happening anytime soon, so we might still get to 2022 and they'll be like, Okay, we're gonna get a movie Memorial Day 2023, right? We know, and you know, we'll still have a celebration, but you know, it may be no,
0: Star Wars is always at Christmas.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you're You're right, though, they got a tight window mm-hmm. at this point. Um, because you need a year's worth of post-production basically right Basically, on a, on a movie of that size so you're uh, but I'm sorry I
0: mean I, it, it's kind of like uh, when they're the people say they're hustling to uh, when, they, when they we're moving around release dates and stuff like that and you said you got a tight window really the only thing anybody has to do in this world is pay taxes and die so just because they said at some point that a movie was coming out in 2022, and they're saying, "Sorry, we're going to release it in 2024," but but you said it's like, you know, this is not a video podcast, but I just flipped off the camera. You know, it's like <laughs> we'll we'll release the movie when we want to. You know, it's like most of half of Star Wars fans had to wait their entire you know co- you know high school and college years before they got to see another Star Wars movie. So y'all can wait. You know another two years now, I'm, I'm, grumpy old man. I'm grumpy old man tonight
1: grumpy, grumpy old aaron no i, th- I think actually because the problem really isn't the fans in that way it's more the shareholders that's usually the problem whenever they lock into release dates it's <laughs> that's right get off my lawn yeah it's yeah. usually it's usually promises made to stockholders to shareholders to uh investors saying we expect this to come out by this by third quarter 2022, so because you need to show a steady rate of growth and return for these investments. You
0: know, okay, so it's interesting that you said that. I'm, I've been watching some short little Eagles documentaries on uh, YouTube. Not not Eagles as in the bird, but Eagles the band. Oh. And um, there's a there's a great great long documentary, the history of the Eagles, and Joe Walsh is quoted as a saying that you know it got to the point where the the record company was just saying, when can we have it? meaning the new record, because it was going to be their whole corporate quarter. And he said, you know, they they didn't care if it was good. They just wanted to release the Eagles record because they knew they were going to make a buttload of money. And the Eagles, they just burned out. I said, we can't, can't do it because we're just going to put out crap. And that's why, you know, kind of fizzled. So that's why I hope, I understand your point about shareholders and stuff like that, but you know, go back to 1976 when their you know, shareholders and, or, you know, at least the corporate people were saying we shouldn't release this movie. And, you know, Alan Ladd was saying, no, you got to release this movie. It's going to be awesome. There's got to be somebody that can stand up to those shareholders saying it would, is it better to release an awesome star Wars movie and make even more money or release a, you know, kind of mediocre, you know, Thor Ragnarok, Star Wars movie. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing if Dave's paying attention, and you know, and and make you know a little bit of money. So I, you know, um, so I get it, but uh, I,
2: I I don't know. We're all very old generation, all three of us, and like you said, we were used to waiting for our Star Wars. Um, I mean, that wait between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace was a long one. Um, well, so well, we're, we're not, had no, we're not expe- we
0: had no expectation that there was gonna be a Phantom Menace. It was yeah, Star Wars yeah. was done. So yeah. now there's the, now I think there's an expectation from people, all right, this Star Wars movie's done. What's next? I
2: but think like in this case, like Freda's right, the reason the reason there would be pressure would be it would be from the studio and the shareholders and the president and you know, all these suits. And uh and I agree, I think it's wrong. And I think that's why Rise of Skywalker turned out the way that it did. And I'm not going to bash that movie on here. Um, but it, it it came off as rushed. Um, and it may or may not have been, but I think that it was. And, it's a result and that's of, not good. Well, there was,
0: and again, I come from my own personal life, again, when I was a band director, um, it was like. I, for some reason, I had in my expect I had these expectations in my brain that we were going to play these four songs at a at the concert in this month coming up. The concert was scheduled so that we couldn't move, but these four songs are the one we're going to play. And even if one of those four songs was barely passable, I felt like I had. I, I, it was hard for me to say no. We're just going to play three. You know, I'm not gonna put it on the program because it sounds like crap. I finally got to that point where it's like, you know what, guys, we're just you can't play the fourth one crap, so we're just going to do three of them. You know, sorry, that's just the way it is. But but there was that, you know, yeah, we, we so yeah, so Lucasfilms that these movies are coming out on these dates. Yeah, it's you gotta be flexible on those deadlines. Otherwise you're just gonna get crap product. So. Oh,
1: and, the, and that's just it. And Davis, right? I mean, look. Whenever when they announced the sequel trilogy, they said the first one's coming out 2015, uh, 20, uh, 2015. The second one's coming out twenty seventeen. The third one's coming out twenty nineteen. And that's grand, and that's awesome because you can give people a target. And you know, to be fair, movies Hollywood has moved that way. But part of the dynamic is you have to be able to adjust to. The realities of your situation, what that means, like, hey, we have a global pandemic, we can't go out and scout, and we can't get an orchestra to do music, and we can't get sets built. So, you know, that's gonna push your production back. It, it should put it that way. You know, it's a lot easier to do stuff like The Mandalorian, which um, you know was already in the can, and now you're just asking people work from home, than it is do the movie from home. So you know what I'd
0: like to see, you know. So getting back to Star Wars Celebration, then we can move on to the rest of the news. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish Star Wars Celebration was handled like Wizard World, where it's kind of that that touring con, you know. So it's not like, yeah. You know, so you you can go to Wizard World New York if you want to. Or you go to Wizard World New Orleans, or you can go to Wizard World Chicago, and I I think you would reach more people because how many people can you know? It might be more feasible for somebody to in nebraska to drive to chicago rather than hop a plane to california or florida you know um, i think i think you would have and you could still have similar you know maybe you're not going to have the huge episode nine panel but you can still have you know the smaller panels you can still have you know all the autograph stuff which that's the great thing about celebration um, you can still have the exhibit floors and all the other, you know, and maybe some of those quote-unquote lesser um, sessions, you know, because th- everybody goes for the the high-profile ones, but like our guest, um, you know, our NASA guest that, you know, she'd given a couple sessions at Star Wars Celebration, probably not a lot of people, maybe more people would go to a session like that if, they had more opportunities, you know, or they didn't have to fight for the big, you know, whole thing. Um, so that's what I'd like to see Star Wars Celebration do. And why, why can't Lucasfilm like just pick well,
1: Yeah a couple different
0: they, and, and put on the same show?
1: Yeah. Cause they do the, you know, every so often they do one in London or they do one in Germany or they do one in Japan. But I think that they've only done one since Japan. I think they've only done twice in London. So, you know, in a way, we get lucky. You know, all the other fans are complain saying that Orlando or, or Anaheim, and you're like, uh, wait a minute, you know, there's Star Wars fans in India who haven't gotten a celebration. There's mm. Star Wars fans in Spain who haven't gotten a celebration. There's, there's Star Wars fans in Hong Kong, in Japan, in China who, are like, we'd love to go to a celebration and not have to spend, you know, a year's fortune in order to make this happen. So. Sometimes we get we forget how lucky we get. So anyway, moving right along. Uh Ewan McGregor did an interview with Ace Universe, uh, where they're discussing a number of topics. You know, uh, they discussed the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which is hopefully he says gonna be filming early next year. Uh, he says his quote was there's a lot of thinking and preparation to be done for the new series. Uh, apparently they're planning on using uh, the volume, call political stagecraft, the volume set from The Mandalorian, which uh, it's funny because he says, here's a quote that says, they employed that incredible screen, I don't even begin to know how it works, but it's pretty amazing. You're on set if you're in a snowscape or something. Well, you look around and you see that. It makes you feel like you're in the place. And it's going to be more, it's going to feel realer for the actors. And I think we'll be using some of that technology on our show. Which, you know, uh, end quote there. Uh, but no, just regarding Ewan McGregor, I mean, he did a lot of the blue and green screen work for the prequel trilogy, and he was not a fan of it towards the end because it was so prevalent everywhere. I saw, a, uh,
0: mm-hmm. I saw a quote from maybe it was that um, article, maybe it was a different interview that he gave, but, uh, or somebody was saying that he's, he said he's looking more forward to playing Obi-Wan now than he was in the prequels and that's kind of that's kind of cool that's kind of cool I, I mean I, I to do, bring back this character
1: age gives perspective I mean we're all three old guys or so getting there so you know we the way we approach I mean if imagine if you get a chance to redo some work you did 20 years ago you get an opportunity to bring all that experience all that know-how and all that uh, thought that process that you put into it now back again and i think it's going to be an interesting show he's very effusive about how he about deborah child and how they're looking forward to doing they're working together um so but obviously i mean like i said one of the dynamics in place was uh they're gonna have to use more of the volume because they're not going to be able to do the traditional scout for a scene travel out there like you're not going to travel to tunisia to redo Tatooine, because you can't. I mean, right now you could if you wanted to. And even if you could, the budget for a TV show is not the same as the budget for episode one.
2: Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Deborah Chow, too, because um, we talked about her on a recent episode and, and how she just seemed to be most may of the new directors, she seemed to be most into it and most understanding of what it was and how best to utilize it. And, um, just enthusiastic as anything about this technology. And, and so it really makes sense within that context that she would be tabbed for this other series. She's kind of the protege of the volume at this point. Um, and, you know, if that works out for her as well, then, you know, she, she'll she be in demand at that point because other studios are going to want to utilize that technology.
1: But the idea of her coming on and already having a couple of episodes of, uh, of The Mandalorian under her belt before jumping on to do Obi-Wan, I think gives her a leg up on doing Obi-Wan just because she's cognizant of what they can do, cognizant of how... Of what Disney and Lucasfilm wants this to be like, uh, and, you know. Because even though as a director, you're still a creative force, you're still also, you know, got to be mindful of the dollars and cents, the time you're burning on set and everything, you know. And they're developing all this technology to make stuff easier, but you still got to come in on time and on budget, and that don't get any easier whether you're Steven Spielberg or Deborah Child.
0: I still, I still want to know at least a little. I, I would just like a, like a little abstract of what this series is going to be about. You don't have to give me, you don't have to give me major plot points. All it has to, you know, all it has to be is, like, two, three sentences. You know. I don't know.
1: Well, it's interesting that you, mentioned, uh, that, uh, you and McGregor mentioned a snowscape because I'm like. There's no snow on Tatooine. Where are you at?
0: Hawk. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there's, a- there's only one snow planet and that's Hawk. So, <laughs> well, I guess there's that that planet from solo. Anyway.
1: No, but uh, yeah, or- so, yeah,
0: I, I would just like I said I would just like a little abstract. That's that's what I that's what I want. But um anyway.
1: Okay, so, uh and then last bit of news before we move on. So we had discussed this last time that uh they had announced from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. So a sequel to the From a Certain Point of View anthology series. This one celebrating 40 years since, you know, the 40-year release of Empire. And it's going to have 40 stories by 40 authors. So StarWars.com revealed a good chunk of the names, I think 36 of the 40. Uh, names that are going to be working on there and feature you know, I can give you the whole list that we have, but I'm just going to skip around some... Some gotta, uh, Go to
0: StarWars.com. Yeah. yeah, you
1: can read them all there, but what I will read is because uh, they do give you descriptions of some of the stories that are available. So oh, they
0: should do the Obi-Wan series. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, so for example, like Austin Walker is going to be doing a story exploring the unlikely partnership between Dengar and IG-88 as they chase Han Solo. So uh, what's really interesting
0: is that part of Shadows of the Empire was IG-88 and Dengar, I believe, if I might be wrong, so please send us a message on Twitter, but I think that they were kind of partnered up in in that comic or something. Go ahead. Uh,
1: Let's see. Hank Green is going to be chronicling the life of a naturalist caring for Tauntauns on the Frozen World of Hoth. So somebody's going to be studying the Tauntauns.
0: Uh, uh, Jane,
1: Jane Goodall of the Star Wars uh, universe. Maybe. Uh, Tracy Dion's going to delve into the dark heart of the Dagobah Cave where Luke confronts a terrifying vision. Martha Wells is going to reveal the world of the Opnot clans who dwell in the depths of Cloud City. So maybe we do get to see here Bakweel? Maybe. Uh, Marco Shiro is going to recount the Wampus' tragic tale of loss and survival. Uh, Ow, titled Owl My Arm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, See, that
1: seems like somebody threw the short end of the stick. I don't know it's like... <laughs> and then uh, Seth Dickinson is going to interrogate the cost of serving a ruthless empire aboard the bridge of a doomed Imperial starship. And then, of course, they're going to have stories by the likes of, let say, Trucker Bordy, Jason Fry, Daniel Jose Older, Lydia Kang, Amy Ratcliffe, Gary Whitta, Brittany Williams, Charles Yu, and many more. And what we were talking about before
0: uh, we, you know, recording is that what's really cool is we got two of those authors uh, living in the New Orleans metro area. So, um, who that?
1: Who that? Uh, and then, for those who didn't know, from a certain point of view, the Empire Strikes Back is already out for pre-release pre-order. I'm sorry, and it'll be officially out on November 10th of this year.
0: Like I said, I think what would be cool is uh, because in the first book, you know, you have the uh, Obi-Wan talking to Yoda. Um, I would like a continuation of that conversation. Like as Luke's training has now started, maybe. Yoda's talking to Obi-Wan, saying, ah, he's not as bad as I thought, or, you know, like that. I don't know. Kind of fun.
2: <laughs> anyway. I, I am about to check out that first book from the library, so um, it's been on my to-do list for some time now, and uh, I'm going to finally be able to knock it out.
0: Cool. I can I loan you our copy if you wanted. But, uh, all right. Well, uh, so is that all of our news?
1: That's all of our news, and I guess we can move on to discussing Disney Gallery. Well, except for there was another little bit of news that
0: oh. uh, a new game
1: is. Uh, oh, that oh, was the other bit of news. Yes. Yeah, and that
0: is uh, is a new game is coming out? Um, Star Wars Squadrons mm-hmm. was uh, what the trailer was dropped a couple days ago, mm-hmm. and then um, just, today, uh, like yeah. about an hour or so ago they dropped actual game footage
1: so uh, can, somebody,
0: can somebody make a trailer for donkey kong <laughs>
1: <laughs> i did love that they used the uh that they uh, remix the music from the asteroid field chase that's yeah. cool that's a cool touch uh so yeah star wars quadrants was announced i want to say other monday or tuesday this week uh, electronic arts is doing their ea play release uh a press conference uh, Earlier today, so they officially dropped release date, price details. Uh, the long and short of it is, it comes out October second for all the current generation uh, consoles and PC. It's going to be worth forty dollars. The idea behind it is, is you will have you have both single player and five on five multiplayer action. So, and you will get, when you start off, you will get to design and uh, both a new republic. And a, uh, a galactic empire pilot, uh, because this takes place after the Battle of Endor. um uh, lo-
0: mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Correct me if I'm wrong. What's ma- what's really cool about this is that you can play with people using different consoles.
1: Yes, yes, it's so got to be cross-platform.
0: So, yeah. So, so Dave could be on a PC. You could be on your PlayStation, and I would have to buy a new Xbox to be able, and, you know, to be able to play this. Um, but uh, I think I think that's cool because is it right now? If I'm like, playing Battlefront, it has, like if I'm playing Battlefront on my Xbox, it would have to be with other Xbox players.
1: Basically, yeah, and that's what I think. This is and looking at it, I mean, a lot of the uh, in-game engine because it's being done by the same people, uh, Motive Studios, who did uh, the flight elements for Battlefront Two. It looks like a lot of repurposed uh, technology that they're putting, bringing forth, which makes sense. Look. Uh, they recognize the impact that the TIE Fighter X-Wing series did on PC almost 30 years ago. And that's kind of what they're going for. So it's not just going to be get on the cockpit and go. You can actually customize your loadout. You get to – because it's all first person inside the cockpit. You know, you get to change, divert power from shields to guns, from – the engine to, you know, if you want to put everything on your booster and just blow past everybody. Um, you're going to get to pilot four different classes of uh, of ships. So you got the, your regular uh, um, fighter, so your you know, X-wing, TIE fighter. Get your bomber, so Y-wing versus TIE bomber. You get a support vessel. So I think the, the New Republic has the, B, the U-wing, and uh, I forget which is the one. That the Empire has. And then you have your little fast Corvette uh, style uh, fighters. So, like, you know, your tie interceptors and your A wings. Each one's supposed to pilot differently. You customize it whichever way you want. And uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic because, yeah, you get to, you'll get to play on either just straight up dogfights with like, other people, or you can actually have missions where you kind of, okay, you got to clear out the fighters. Then the support ships, then the capital ship. So. And there was uh,
0: an interesting uh, character reveal in that trailer.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, A particular uh, captain that we've seen from a certain Uh, TV show. General. 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 General, Yeah. Mm -hmm. General Harris is going to be guiding your New Republic squadron. So. What I wanted to ask
2: is is this a continuation of. The Rogue Squadron series of games, because this is really the, if I'm unless I'm wrong, this is the first real flight sim slash dogfighting game since those games, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last one I want to say was Rogue Squadron Three, which was about a decade or so ago. I mean, and those were I'm trying to remember if those even came out for all platforms. that were just Nintendo exclusives. but, yeah, this would be a... I don't necessarily know if it's a continuation. I think they're kind of calling it like a spiritual successor. Much of again, just as... Like Battlefront? Much, yeah, much in the same way that Rogue Squadron was a uh, spiritual successor to the x Wing versus Tie Fighter series. It, it, no, Rogue Squadron was never as involved in your loadout as as those games were. But, again, the same idea of getting inside the cockpit, you fly, you take on the battles. So this is the same. That's going to follow on that and. Uh, they're supposed, again, it's taking place after the Battle of Endor. It's supposed to be the story they say it's canon, much in the same way as Jedi Fallen Order and Battlefront 2 were. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how people take on it, because, again, it's, you know, you can do it single solo, or you can, you know, team up with five buddies, and you can, you got to switch back and forth between New Republic, Empire, New Republic, Empire, during this uh, story.
0: It might make right. me buy a new console, so.
1: so, so PlayStation 5 drops in the Christmas, so if you got 500 bucks or so laying about, you might want to save it for that.
2: I, I was just going to say I was excited by what you said, that there were no loot boxes attached mm-hmm. to
1: this. Yeah, they, and EA was up front the, the what they were doing the interview. They were up front because all the big controversy that fell with Battlefront 2, they're being, they say there's got to be like 50 weapon mods, there's gonna be all these ways to customize your pilot, so whether it's the species, the look, the whatever, the way you want to customize your X-wing or your Tie fighter, uh, but it's all supposed to be earned through gameplay. You don't, you're not gonna buy put your character out. You're not gonna to have to buy any weird coins to have to buy it out, which is good. Yeah,
0: that so looks cool. So I haven't watched the trailer for the gameplay. You you yeah. watched it? Does it does it look cool?
1: it looks fun it looks again it's it's gonna be interesting because particularly if you remember Rogue Squadron, Rogue squadron puts you in a third person behind the ship camera so you could see the ship as it twisted and turned so like say you're behind an x-wing you could see the x-wing rolling one way rolling the other. this is first person inside the cockpit so your field of view is just whatever you would see inside the cockpit of an x-wing for example uh, so boy, what,
0: if you could get a if you get like a vr headset to, to do this mm-hmm. That would just be awesome. That might, that might be what you need to splurge on. And...
1: Yeah, that might be what you need to get the VR headset and just do VR. You know, the X wing and just freak the heck out of the dogs.
0: Yeah, <laughs> put put Luna in the cockpit of an X
1: wing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, that's where Wookiees come from. So Luna could be, but no, yeah, it's uh. So that idea of you could be in your VR. A headset I could be on my playstation Dave could be on p c and you can cross play one another and uh be part of the same missions, take on the same challenges.
0: still want to see a trailer for Donkey Kong so <laughs> with Certainly all that. Somebody made that. I'll do a youtube search later somebody's somebody's got to have made a, a
2: game trailer for that just if, ask no co- one, if no one has, I'll make one for you
1: <laughs> I was gonna say you can always ask Colesby to uh edit something for you.
0: Yeah, all I'd have to do is just tweet, and it would be, it would give him a day. And yeah, just
1: challenge him. Just challenge him. He will totally do it.
0: So, uh, well, cool. Yeah, well, we'll see if we're, maybe we'll maybe we'll all play that game at some point, and we can be in the same room together. Um, so uh, let's uh, move on to uh, the YouTube series of uh, the Jedi Temple Challenge.
1: For generations, the Jedi Orders have been the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. Now, Padawan teams must endure three challenging rounds of Jedi trials to become Jedi Knights.
0: Um, which is, we you know, we mentioned it a couple episodes ago. This is a, a admittedly, a kid show. But, uh, it's, like I it's, said, you know, they have three teams. Um, uh, three teams of two and they compete in little challenges and see who gets to um, become Jedi Knight and um um so I just put that out there that admittedly it's a kid's show so anything that we complain about is probably just going to be you know old man problems. Um but uh it's on YouTube and you know a lot of people found that interesting that they put it on YouTube rather than Disney Plus but we mentioned that you know that in the article they said given the, the state you know with the virus and everything like that, they wanted to get it out to as many people as you know possible um and i will say you know i was i watched it i i enjoyed it it was like i've said it's 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 good i'm done with work i got to watch something kind of easy you know i don't want to watch the news it's it's just easy going and it is exactly what we said it was going to be it is double dare with you know star wars themed really and no slime but uh you know so you got ahmed best who is a jedi master um, and he's accompanied by two droids, and one of the droids, I will say, just kind of bothers me—the one who does all the talking. I mean, come on! I mean, the, the first episode, they ha- right out of the gate, they had a fart joke. <laughs> did you did you know when the door opens and she's like, "Oh, what's that gas escaping?" You know, then it's like, "Oh, it was the door." And then it happens again. She goes, "Okay, that time it wasn't the door; it was me." They made a fart joke, so it's like, uh, you know. It's like we already we already had Jar Jar stepping in Bantha poo. Do we need a fart joke? But whatever, kids like fart jokes. So, um, but I, you know, I thought I I think it's kind of fun. They go through three different challenges, um, and the uh, the thing with uh, Sam Witwer being the 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 dark side. There is one episode where he actually he went full Mall. He he is like it was Dar- I mean it was Darth Maul voice. It was just it was awesome. Uh, I think it was the most recent one uh the third episode, but anyway, um, what did you guys think? what did you enjoy it, Dave? Did your kids watch it?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I did the Pepsi challenge with the kids and sat them down in front of it and, uh, for the purposes of this show. I was like, well, are they are we gonna like this? Are we not gonna like this? They liked it a lot, and uh um, it is targeted towards people their age, so that makes sense um i you know, if I had any problems with it, uh, it would be the pacing of it seemed a little tight. Um
0: Does like, it seem rushed, yeah.
2: Yeah, like uh oh you, you you completed the challenge, you know, like within like a half second of them putting a block on, onto a pedestal, and I'm like, wait, did they actually complete it? I'm not sure. And and they're but you've got Ahmad Best narrating and he's like, They've completed the challenge, It's on to the next thing, you know. Um so it's really tightly edited. Uh it can be a little hard to follow because of that. If you're just not if you're not paying attention. I was across the room doing the dishes trying to watch at the same time. Um it was kind of hard to keep up. I wish that trivia had been like Star Wars trivia like we play because that would be more fun. Um but again, you're talking about kids and it's it's probably a little bit better for them to be like what was the color pedestal that you just climbed, you know?
0: <laughs> they're, um, <laughs> they're practicing. They're practicing for the SAE.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, um, and I love. There was a one joke that just had me like guffawing from across the room. Where um, I think Abad Best was like, uh, "Use the Force." Of your upper body strength, or something yeah, along of those your lines. Yeah, of your
0: core. <laughs> it was off the raft. Yeah, it was awesome.
2: Uh, it had me rolling. Um, yeah, so it was entertaining. It's a family show. It's a kids show. Um, if you're, you know, if you don't have kids, you may not get as much out of it. But I liked it. Fredo, what'd you think?
1: Yeah, I was about to say I don't have kids. I uh, know it's fun. It's it's very light. It's not. I mean, if you're looking for something to just kind of take your mind off after Sounds work, like we're talking or, about a beer. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. No, no, because it's in some ways it is like a beer because you're not. You know, you don't think about a beer. You're just consuming. You just enjoy it. It's enjoyable. Yeah, uh, I totally got the old double dare, uh, fun house, all those uh, afternoon kid. Competition shows, they used to be on TV all the time in the 80s and 90s. So that's the vibe that it gives. Of course, when it's Star Wars twist, uh, I think I bet best is perfect for this. You know, his enthusiasm for it, his joy for it, comes through, and he's willing to sell the droids and the silliness I mean, he's he's into it. So it, it, I find a lot of times with any kind of show, whether it's something like this or whether it was one of Anthony Bourdain's shows, or whether it's something with, like, um, what's his name? Uh, anyway, you know, whenever you get in, in any kind of show where you're putting people in a situation that's not normal, it helps when you have a host that's whole hog into it, that's just into it, wants you to come along on the journey. And uh, The challenges are you know, pretty standard, pretty straightforward. You're not going to make these, you know, so hard that, you know, you're gonna, kids are going to hurt themselves or... Kids are gonna think, oh, let me let me copy this at home, and like Dave's kids are not picking. Well, if I jump from the couch on top of the TV, <laughs> to on top of the yeah, I'll be a Jedi Knight. And all of a sudden, mom and dad walk in, and the living room's a mess. You know, so like I to your, done.
0: to your earlier point, you know about Ahmed Best. The other thing that they do, they do a great job, and as as a teacher, I, you know it's anytime you get into this competition sort of stuff, especially to that age of kid. It's like they do a really good job of when the kids lose to keep it a positive experience. like, hey, you're going to become a Jedi one day. Go back to the temple. Keep training. You know, say your prayers and eat your vitamins type of thing. It's really positive because it it could be like, you know, Purple Team, you suck. Just go on back to Jakku and just carve on your, you know, weight. Fall to the
1: dark side, dude. Fall to the dark side.
0: But, uh, you know, so... uh, they did, like I said, do, and that you could have blubbering kids, you know, at the end of these challenges. Um, but uh, they actually <laughs> do a, they do a, they do a good job.
1: Of
2: I, the- I have expected to see that. Yeah. We're like, well, sorry, kids, you don't earn a lightsaber, and you will never become a Jedi. You know, and just like <laughs> just- the nice surprise. The nice surprise at the
0: end of it, you know, you hear Yoda. And it's Frank Oz. It's actually Frank Oz's Yoda voice. Um, so that's awesome. Um, but the and um, um, those
2: look like Savvy's Workshop quality lightsabers that oh, they get at the all, end.
0: That's all. Uh, this is all merchandise, merchandising. Merchandising. Yeah. <laughs> merchandising. I mean, it's yogurt. Come on. It. it that's. Those holocrons are exactly from Galaxy's Edge. The lightsabers are. You know. They're. It's the yeah. It's all. It's all that. So it's like hey. You, you, you failed the challenge, you can go to Galaxy's Edge and, you know, spend $300 and get all these things. <laughs>
1: yeah. By the way, you saying that just reminded me that apparently they had interviewed Mel Brooks for space, regarding Spaceballs. Because apparently he says, I still get the most mail I get for any movie, Spaceballs. Still.
2: <gasps> Ludicrous speed. Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take us. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken
1: but he said the one caveat that george put in to give his blessing he liked it but he said you can't sell any merchandise that's yeah. my gig
0: um but yeah you know, so the yeah. other thing i wondered a uh, question i had there was of the three episodes they've had so far only one kid has turned to the dark side and because it was like the second challenge was going a little bit too long and i mean it was a smart play it's like man we're spending way too much time here i gotta just hit the buzzer and you know we'll just roll the dice with the next one. Hopefully we'll get through. makes me wonder if it's like, you know, the producers went, Hey kid, come over here. You know, we'll, we'll give you a lightsaber at the end of this. If you, you know, do the dark side thing do or, the dark side. or did the kid just like, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I want to know because I have, all the kids are like sickeningly, like you got this, you can do it. Oh, we're all light side. Yay. And you know, it's like, I want, I was glad that there was one kid going, God, you're
1: taking too much time. Dark side. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would not be realistic if every kid turned out to be a Jedi Knight. That's just not realistic. Every night, you know, I, I don't I have nephew. I have a nephew. I don't have, I have kids. Dave can speak better to a kid's Nate propensity to switch back and forth between light and dark way better than I could. So, so uh, some days it may be uh, light. Some days it may be dark.
0: The other I thing can't... that had me guffawing, Dave, was uh the and like said the rope, the droid that really bothered me. But she was saying, it "Was like I can't remember the kid's name, but like Dave's doing a really good job hitting that side of that thing with his face. Like, <laughs> kept swinging across and hitting the wall, <laughs> and like, it just, wow, Dave's doing a really good job of just hitting his face. <laughs> it was like." So they're they're kind of they're kind of making fun of the kids on the side, but I want, I'm sure all that's done in post. So
2: um. I was just thinking, there's no way my kids could ever be on this show because they would be swearing up a storm. <laughs> I, my kids have the mouths of sailors, and it would just not work. My like my daughter like waiting for my son to complete one of the challenges. It would just be a like, bleep. McCie McClunky, my McClunky, my McClunky, <laughs> dark side oh, you'd be like you'd
0: be like happy Gilmore,
1: peace of monkey beep <laughs>
2: exactly,
1: but they would have fun doing it,
2: yeah, well, no, I mean they uh they took it very seriously when they did the the Jedi challenge at uh Disney world, so they.
1: Uh,
0: that you know, the first two episodes were the exact same challenges, and then we got to the third episode, and I was like, oh, "It's the same challenges again." But actually, it changed up in the third one. So I think you will, you know, we'll see uh, different challenges and things like that. Um, but but again, it's it's fun, and I can understand why it's on YouTube because it, this I don't I don't think this is a as as cool as it is. I don't think it's Disney Plus caliber stuff. To me, Disney Plus is like a step below going to the movie theater, and this is i mean let's let, again let's be honest, this is Nickelodeon you know type stuff so um so I said so it's fun I'll keep watching it um I'll wait for that kid to like take <laughs> grab the training saber and break it over his knee, and you know. <laughs>
1: What <laughs> you said again, they they do it in such a way that you uh enjoy it. You, again, you don't think too much about the dynamics of it. You're just enjoying having a good time seeing the kids compete and it's a fun diversion.
0: couple couple rebels references. first of all, you have to grab a meluron, you know the the fruit that is referenced many times in rebels. They use training sabers. It's the first time that you ever hear of training sabers is when Kanan uses them with Sabine with the dark saber. So it's, and I, along with the galaxy's edge stuff, they really did say, okay, we need to make kids watch rebels. Kids are going to Disney you know, to galaxy's edge. So they are drawing all those. Hey, oh, we had a Fredo, uh, fr- a frozen moment there that we could have taken a picture of. That would have been fun. Um, but so, uh, you know, it's. You know it's it's linking to what the kids know and what they like. so yeah, it's fun well, uh,
1: and it's something that back when we get to uh, Disney Gallery, it's something that uh, uh, Dave Filoni actually said, each generation has their entry point into Star Wars. And for a lot of the kids start taking play, you know taking part in this show, their entry point was rebels. Their entry point was either rebels or the sequel trilogy. So connecting to them via you know the Melurons to training savers to Sabine, to Esra makes perfect sense because that's that's their Star Wars.
0: So let's so let's slide into the gallery now, Disney Gallery. We've talked about most of the episodes, um, <clears throat> so we're going to be talking mainly about this most recent one. The 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 one we talked about the composed and the music to the Mandalorian. But one of the things Filoni said is exactly what you were just talking about and so before we talk about the specifics of this show but he he made the comment that star wars fandom clings too tightly to their paradigm of star wars and he was making the comment in like they didn't want you know ludwig to to copy john williams Mm You know, because there are a lot of people. I'm one of them. That's like, you know, I I cling too tightly to to things, and it's like that was my criticism of I uh, had criticisms of the music in Rogue One. Um, you know, I had criticisms in the music in the uh, um, in some of the others, but um, but he made that good point that that fans cling too tightly to, like I said, their par- and I'm paraphrasing him, but to their paradigm of Star Wars. Did you guys catch that? catch him mm-hmm. saying
2: that oh yeah yeah and he didn't necessarily i don't know if he meant it in a negative way at all mm-hmm. um it was just more of a statement of fact like sure. it's a natural thing for people to cling to that thing that they grew up with um you know in our generation it's the original trilogy is king forever and ever and always yeah uh, but you know he made the really good point that there were a lot of people that um, and we had Michelle on uh, a few weeks ago, speaking to the EU. Um, for a lot of people, the EU was a really important part of of um, of their youth. And then you go, you transition into the prequel trilogy, um, Clone Wars, the sequel trilogy, Rebels. You know, it um, it just keeps going and going. And they said that to Ludwig, like, you know. You are creating that connection for the next generation right now. That's what you're doing with this music because you're putting your own creative stamp on this thing and people because of their emotional investment and how music can can elicit that kind of a response. It's going to be because of you that this next generation is going to be in love with the Mandalorian
0: so um i i i don't I wouldn't say negative, but I do think he was he was calling people out you know in that we've we've got to you know <clears throat> to paraphrase Yoda we've got to let go you know um, in in some respects you know and uh, because we we had all that with the sequel trilogy, not my Star Wars. You know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of that going on. And I think he was, You could t- I, when he was talking about it, I could see kind of the frustration in his face, you know? Um, but that being said, so, so talking about, uh, the, you know, the score was what this was called. And uh, Ludwig, uh, Ludwig Goranson, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's interesting is that he was um, a college roommates with the director black panther um i thought that was kind of interesting this dude like i said i I got my undergrad in music this guy looked like every composition major that was in the music building i mean it's like even the professor they all composition majors were just i mean they're just a, they're just a different batch, and they they all composed like the their professor too. So they all wrote some really weird junk too. Because um, you know we we would get as you know as music majors, they'd be look for people to come play the parts, you know, of the stuff they composed. You know, so it was fun to do that stuff. But yeah, um, but so I found this episode really interesting um, and watching his process. And I do have. It solidified some things with me. Um, there's really only one true theme that was used in the Mandalorian. well maybe two. You have the, the thing they mess around on the recorder, that first thing you hear the Mandalorian come in, and then you just kind of have the main theme: bump bum bum boom bum bum boom bum bump bum. That's played, you hear it, just in different keys and different, you know, different arrangements and stuff throughout the series. Otherwise, what he did, it seemed, was to create atmosphere. And I don't mean this as a criticism, I'm meaning as a contrast to what was done in the original trilogy, especially, where it was thematically based. It was, you know, here is You know the Force theme. Here is, you know, Princess Leia's theme. Here is the Death Star theme. Here is, you know, in in that very Wagnerian way, Um, when he's talking about when Ludwig was talking about composing for the episode where they're on the prison ship, and he's just he's just messing around with you know electronic sounds, Uh, and I I don't mean that in a negative way that he's just messing around, Mm -hmm. but it's not like hey we're going to have you know, Princess Leia's theme, you know underneath here while Han is doing blah blah blah, you know um, So again, it was more um, like I said creating atmosphere and um, Rather than the music being another Like you know another main character like I think It was in episodes four five and six especially
1: I oh, no. think I'll, I'll shut up yeah. for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was gonna say, I think in part this is due to the marching orders that John and Dave gave him. They said we don't want to repeat what John Williams did, which Fair enough. which is always good, which is kind of difficult because you're going, wait a minute, there's one musical language for Star Wars. It's the one John Williams created. You're telling me to go against that. But also because they recognize we were never going to see the Mandalorian's face so they were trusting that the music being in the background will almost act like the subconscious representation of the Mandalorian's mood in his setting so you're right it's a lot of atmosphere but it's atmosphere done as a representation of how he's feeling
0: you know it's and what I really liked was and it's another big difference between the movies is because a symphonic sound would not work for the mandalorian um with the spaghetti western you know type of thing you need those organic sounds the organic sound of a guitar you know not an electric guitar but a you know an acoustic guitar of of you know a wooden recorder of a piano um you need those organic sounds um for what we were seeing on the screen so it wouldn't have worked. And that's why actually my least favorite moments in the Mandalorian musically were when you had the big symphonic sounds because they just felt so out of
1: place. Um, Can I, but, you know, it, it didn't feel like James, uh, John Williams to me. It felt like any Morricone. Like have you ever heard uh, Morricone's scores for like the man with no name trilogy, the good, the bad, the ugly, once upon a time in the West, or it's taking us uh, a harmonica and just stretching out dissonant notes to create a sound, and that becomes a the theme. Or oh, that becomes the motif that they go back to. So I think he was more aiming for that because you're right, there he gets told. Yeah, I mean, and I, I love the the cues that he's given. He's given Western, sci fi, samurai, and I'm like, well, in a way, you could, you know, that all could also describe Obi Wan. But you know, but it's that idea. That's what they were going for.
2: Yeah. You know, the John Williams like was up for an Oscar, I think, for Force Awakens, and um, Rice. and and he lost to Marconi, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you, and you couldn't fault the decision because, like, there were these two epic, legendary composers up uh, for this Oscar, and they both did amazing work that in that particular year. But it's it's funny because I just think about that connection right off the bat. Um, yeah, obviously the spaghetti westerns are just a huge influence here. Um, and they were going for that kind of sound and it fits it. It fits it really well. When we first started this, we were complaining a little bit about it being, um, I started the complaints, I think in our very first episode where I said it was too on the nose. Um, like, oh, you're going for the Western, you know, and okay. Yeah. We hear those, you know, we hear those songs and it sounds like the Western, um, but you know it it really does grow on you and he says that during the course of this episode um when he said like a lot of people either really loved what we did with this or they hated it and then they grew to love it over time um and i i personally fall into that latter category i um in in episode one i was really kind of like it feels a little out of place um but You know, three episodes in, I was all in. Uh, And I really liked it a lot. And, you know, it was the right call, I think, just to go that direction. You can't can't just ape John Williams and make it happen. You know, like, nobody else is John Williams. And so anybody that tries to sound like John Williams is going to fail trying.
0: Now don't don't misinterpret what I'm saying is that, that I it's not saying I want it to sound like John Williams and using John Williams themes it's but it's the the compositional style of that you know of that romantic wagnerian operatic style which I think has become synonymous with Star Wars where right. where people have themes I don't mind if there are new themes I I it's my criticism of a lot of of movies nowadays where it seems like music is all right we need we need tent, we need some really you know tense feeling music here so they pull a track off the wall and they put it in and you know or it's almost garage band like it's like you know i can just grab my loops and and like i said create you know and and i get what Fredo was saying where and it's and what they were saying on the show it's like you can't see a space so we need so maybe that is the conscious decision to why it is more um creating um well a well, little bit more background or not not as it's more of uh, i can't remember what the phrase i was used earlier but um so maybe that's why they did that but i i think I, I I just I really like I don't I'm not saying that it needs to sound like John Williams, but it's that compositional technique that, like I said, that has that made Star Wars stand out. And what because again we've talked about it. so if I was to sing for you, bum 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 bum, 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 bum. what scene am I singing? you know that that's that's my point is that got about
2: 70 scenes there because he uses
0: or you know the or the recorder lick you know that's all over the place So, I so he can you can you can give me the argument as to why, but I think there could have been more done because you have characters. I mean, oh yeah, and I have. I didn't
2: mean. Go ahead. I was gonna say I I didn't mean to like um, infer that or um, like indict anything that you were had previously said. I just think like referring back to some conversations that we've had in the past where it's like. John Williams of Star Wars, you know. Um and I think a lot of people feel that way. And it's not going to be possible going forward just in a practical sense, you know. I mean, the man's retired at this point. So it's like, well, you there need to be other options. And it could be somebody within that, you know, more classic, like you said Wagner, that that styling. Um and that would, you know, that may work for the films. Um, but like this style I thought ended up working very well for this for for this show. But I wanted to say one thing. Like the, the what you're talking about, have you guys seen the, the movie Um Forgetting Sarah Marshall?
1: hmm Yes. I have
2: not. Uh, okay, so the the the, 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 <laughs> so the lead character in this movie, um he's like a composer for television shows Mm -hmm. and so like that's his that's his day job and he's trying to like write a musical in his spare time and everything but like that's the day job and and at some point somebody's like you write this this great music for this show like they're trying to cheer him up and he's like i just i just write tones that's all that i do And it's just, you know, because like those crime procedurals, if you can just picture it in your mind, you know, Dong, don't don't, you know? Um, and like, yeah, some of that television writing boils down to that, you know, and it, it doesn't sound very complex or very memorable. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, like in this case, I, I mean, love the main theme. I think it's, Fabulous, but you're right. It's it's basically one theme.
0: So here's the interesting thing, however. Um George Lucas wrote Star Wars with Wagner in mind.
1: Mm-hmm. And he went
0: to John Williams, and he said, I want a score that sounds like Wagner. He had the music going along in his head as he was writing this movie. Um and watching this episode of gallery, you know, yeah, they said, okay, Western sci-fi samurai, go have fun. And so what that's saying is that, um, Favreau and Filoni didn't have as clear of a picture of what, you know, and i don't know if they're they maybe are as musically you know astute as george lucas was because i mean there's a difference between saying i want a score that's like wagner to i want a score that sounds like the good the bad and the ugly you know what i mean i mean so so i think you know i think that's kind of interesting that it's if you give a musician just like hey I'm gonna I'm gonna pay you all this money and just go ahead and do it. And yeah, they said if you weren't doing it the way we wanted it, we would we would have reeled you in. But my question was, would they really? You know, I don't know what their I don't know what their musical background, what their musical you know tastes are. So you know, musicians are really pretty good at saying, hey, yeah, here's the music. You know,
1: I think I mean well. First of all, I think we we you know sometimes uh, with Maluka tells John Williams, he wants Wagner. It's because John Williams is going, wait, you don't want a modern 70s score for this? And it's because Lucas is adapting Flash Gordon serials from the 1930s where the only music those suckers could put in was uh, music that was free to use for everybody, no copyright, which was classical music. So they were like... And if you ever see those old 1930s Flash Gordon series, they're all heavy on the trumpets, heavy on the drums, because they're all action. So I think they, you know there's a reason. You know, since he, since Lucas was adapting that into Star Wars, it makes sense. I also think in part they were cognizant of not trying to make Star Wars for the for the small screen. They were telling a story, so that allowed them to go a different way. I wonder, I mean, it's interesting because they do get the scene, the moment when they're filming episode four, I believe, because Bryce Dallas Hours is there, and then uh, Ludwig comes out, pulls out his phone, and plays the flute theme for them. And they're all like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing. This is exactly what we wanted. So sometimes it's, uh, it's interesting to see what a creative mind can give you. But, yeah, it's interesting that they did not give a specific, a set of marching instructions to him as George did, because I do wonder. You're right. I mean, sometimes a lot of stuff is happy alchemy. You don't know what you're going to get. And sometimes you can't go off the rails in a hurry. You know, you end up with something like disco theme. I don't know.
0: So yeah, no, I, but I will say this, like when I was talking about you know how he's messing around with the, with the computers and the um, kind of the electronic sounds for that, um, uh for that episode where they're on the prison ship. I don't I don't think you could have had anything other than what he did. I mm-hmm. uh, I'm not taking anything away from it. I said, you know what what this stuff it, it works, you know. Um but I just found it very interesting, you know, how it was it it seemed kind of hippie ish how mm-hmm. he was put it together. He's just like, yeah man, then I play my guitar. And yeah man, then I play my piano. And then yeah, these computers make different sounds, man. You know, it's like I'm just
1: picturing Matthew McConaughey going like, Man, we just sat there with our shirts off. We're just playing the bongos. <laughs> so
2: Yeah, the funny thing too, my wife, when she was she was in the room when I was watching it, and they were talking about how he went to USC, he was roommates um with um
1: Ryan Kugler.
2: Ryan Kugler, and and she's like 4 weeks ago, you know, because like he looks so young. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's incredible that he did Black Panther. I mean, mm-hmm. it's incredible. That's an incredible score. Um and, you know, it, it was fun to kind of look at his process. The freaking recorder. I mean, I wouldn't have really expected it to have been a a recorder. But that's producing. the thing, Dave.
0: That, like I said, I, because I've seen these composition majors, because it's like they find the weirdest crap for you to play, and for the and the weirdest way to play it. It's like I want you to take this, you know, pizza pan and hit it with a feather duster at a forty-five degree angle because it makes a specific sound. I mean, they, there's like things that they do. So they it's where where I was in the classroom, you know, studying traditional band instruments they were exploring all sorts of different sounds. And so it was not surprising to me that he's like, yeah, I'm going to buy five recorders, you know, um, uh, from Timbuktu or whatever, where, he, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, so that was not surprising. I was laughing through all that because, you know, I was, I turned to Brittany and I said, God, this, this is like every composition major that I, you know, knew in college. <laughs>
2: they're, they're almost like Foley artists you know the the sound effects guys like the ben burts of the world who are out here like just trying to find the weirdest freaking sounds they can um and it kind of makes sense for something that's supposed to be extraterrestrial right well
0: also i mean it's also you know as a composition major they're they're again so if you're in it man this is gonna people are gonna come after me on this one but I'm a professional musician I've played in you know in bands and orchestras and everything but really, when you are playing in a group and somebody puts down a piece of music in front of you that you know so you're going play um, you're going to play Beethoven, what you're doing at that point is really color by numbers you're you're not you're not creating art really you are recreating art and That's not to diminish anything from orchestras, professional musicians, or anything like that, you know, but we're really, that's kind of color by numbers. Now the composition majors, the people are composing the music, you know, when they're finding, like you said, the Foley artists, finding different ways to make sounds and different ways to manipulate this. Okay. Yeah. That's the way you play a violin traditionally, but what if we play it with a fork instead of a bow? You know, that type is because I want this type of sound. You know, then you're starting there. So they're operating in this creative, you know, it, this this creative mode all the time and trying to push boundaries and things like that. Whereas when you are playing in a group, you have boundaries around you because of what the piece of music says to do. Um, and it's a long, drawn-out thing. So, again, I, I just found it really interesting to watch how he was – allowed to be creative you know and to and so while well, i don't know if that was because favreau and filoni didn't know any better to how to rein him in or if it was you know hey we're just going to let you go you know i don't know it was but it was just interesting to watch this process
1: mm-hmm. you know it's it was an in- Ooh, so, oh darn it
0: yeah <laughs> <all> <laughs> We had Fredo scratching his eye. We should have done screen capture. That would have been perfect.
1: No, uh, yeah, yeah. got to be quick on the draw. Uh, uh, it's interesting, you know, seeing him in his little room, his little den, where he's just like he's got all the instruments. He's got his little board with all the you know tech sounds he can generate, and he's got he's ordering instruments here, there, and everywhere. Uh, because it's it's interesting because most of the other uh, creation of the show. It's much more involved, you know. You, if you're creating sets, if you're creating props, if you're creating, um, man, you know, mannequins like the, the the child or a set of armor. Usually, you're working with somebody else. Uh, the composer is one of the ones who can just golf on his own. And he just, he says he read all eight scripts. He came up with eight individual scores for eight individual episodes, which I think he said it was the equivalent of scoring three films. Which that's a lot of that's a lot of music to have to generate, in a quick in a quick turnaround time. Yeah, you know. Whereas you know, because usually with a movie you get anywhere from four four months to six months, depending on, and then had to go and call the musicians and score with the soundtrack, and so it's interesting seeing it because there's a point where he has to collaborate with others, but for the most part it's by himself.
0: Well, and maybe that's the why. I mean, maybe. That's why he had to go down the path that he went and could it couldn't be a, you know, more elaborate theme based, you know, Wagnerian type approach because that's a lot of music to crank out in a short amount of time, you know, um, because it's not like I know the Mandalorian was in production for a year, but still it's like um, you got a lot of stuff to put out. So you kind of got to maybe.
1: I mean, just look at it from the standpoint of he's doing the scoring right now for season two of Mandalorian. Plus, he's working on the new Christopher Nolan movie. Plus, you know, at some point, Ryan Coogler is going to approach him and go, hey, uh, we're do- gearing up to do Black Panther 2. So, you know, applause to him because that's a lot of creativity that's just got to come out. And it's got to be original every time. It's going to be unique every time. And you know, sometimes it might just be you know, just start playing Mandy in the background, just to throw people off. Yeah.
0: So anyway, no, I thought it was uh, thought it was a good episode. Like I said, I found um, what's what's the what's the next one? Is it? The, so, do we only have one more left.
1: That's it. Tomorrow is the finale. It takes a look at the props and characters of this landmark series. Cool. So. And yeah, I'll be here for Disney Gallery, The
0: Mandalorian. So um, heard a little bit of uh, before we before we sign off. Another this kind of little bit of rumor: um, Ahsoka Tano um, uh, rumors came out for The Mandalorian, um, and uh, so well, I guess one of the rumors heard was that she will be wielding a lightsaber. That it. You know not know don't know if it's blue I, by the way i was listening to resistance broadcasts and they brought this up so give them credit because they kind of had the report on here but um they're saying blue lightsaber but uh you know let's put this together if you got ahsoka tano with a lightsaber and then you also have um oh god esposito talking about how he was broke so many dark sabers
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are we going to be seeing some lightsaber on darksaber fights um, in this season?
2: That would be my expectation. I mean, maybe I shouldn't go that far with with it. Um, but yeah.
1: We... Go oh,
0: ahead. go ahead.
2: No, go ahead. Oh well, you know. um, the Dark Sabre shows up, right uh, at the at the end of the first season. And immediately my thought goes to, well, who are you gonna fight with a frickin dark saber? Um, so then it, you know it we've seen it, we've seen Jedi Mandalorian battles before, but um like sword duels would make seem to make the most sense. And then you have to think, Jedi. And once Ahsoka got announced, I mean, not announced, but um, reported to be in this series, it would make sense that she would cross blades with him. So ever since she was um, reported to be in this show, I thought that that would happen.
1: I mean, it's interesting. I was thinking, this was, you know, Mandalorian season one was the first time we had a major production that did not feature a lightsaber at all. Uh, Okay, actually, no, solo would have been the first one. Actually, no. know, Solo had a lightsaber, because they had Darth no, so, yeah So yeah, the so Mandalorian Season 1 was the first time we had a whole project that said Star Wars you know, on a screen that did not feature a lightsaber. And if you're going to introduce the Darksaber and you figure Moff Gideon has some knowledge on how to use it, uh, then he can't be taking on Din Jaren because he doesn't have a lightsaber. Well, Ahsoka does, and she knows how to use it. We've seen her in action. So it obviously makes sense that um, it would be her versus uh, Gideon. It will be interesting to see because uh, the color change, because we've seen her have green lightsabers, blue lightsabers, and white lightsabers. And so we've always put uh, some sort of value on the concept of the color of the blade for a Jedi, and we've established the idea that uh, it, it juxtaposes where they're falling on, you know, on their side of the force, so to speak. Yeah. So I wonder if being blue at this point just indicates that she's going as she's maturing. She's falling more back into the teachings that at she the, got.
0: At the end of Clone Wars, does she leave her lightsabers?
1: Mm-hmm. Remember, Darth Vader finds him in the snow and picks it up. But
2: the, the and the Ahsoka novel is canon still. Um, and she doesn't have lightsabers in the Ahsoka novel until, uh, spoiler alert, um, mm-hmm. she uh, removes them from an Inquisitor and uses them to defeat said Inquisitor.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in Rebels, we obviously saw her with her dual uh, where two white lightsabers that for $200 you can buy a Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> so, uh, so she's definitely had them as far as rebels. Well at least we know she had a lightsaber as far into the into the timeline as rebels. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that she's traveling that if she went in the quest to find Ezra, She didn't just dump them over the side because who knows what they were going to encounter.
0: So anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. But well cool. All right. Well hey everybody thank you for joining us for another episode of the Who That Jedi podcast. Remember that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts on uh, Podbean, Facebook, Twitter. Um, when you see us post these on Twitter, share them about. Get people, you know, have people listen to it. Even if you think they're going to hate it because we like arguing with people too. So, uh, <laughs> but um, spread the and word. Leave us a review. Yeah, leave us yeah. a review. Um, and uh, yeah, like Dave said earlier, if you, you know, if if you want to join the conversation, sometime just give us a shout. You know. As long as you don't swear too much you know we'll we'll talk to anybody about star wars really so um but until then um we will uh, i guess uh, sign off by saying our typical who, dat?
2: who, dat? who dat? and
0: uh, you guys all have a great week stay safe My